Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. These episodes are inspired by interactions with ministry leaders from across the country. As they explore possibilities, learn from broad perspectives, take risks, and cultivate candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. Hi, everybody. Uh, This is Mark Ramsey, Executive Director of the Ministry Collaborative. I'm here with my colleague, Adam Mixon, and with our podcast producer, Marthame Sanders. Today, finally, we get to turn the tables on Marthame, who usually just lurks in the background telling us we only have two minutes left to talk. Today, we want to talk to him, and a little bit, too, to my colleague, Adam, about vocational discernment. Hello, both of you. Hey, Mark. Hey, Mark. Is this thing on? (laughs) I'm picking up a little table noise, Mark. I'm talking to two people who are in ministry uh, and have been in traditional ministry, but also ministry that stretches the imagination of that with all the choices, decisions, challenges, and opportunities that go along with that. And since we're spending some time this month talking about vocational discernment, I thought this would be an important conversation. Martha, could you just say a little bit about your journey here? Yeah. My journey has been varied. I have served in a variety of contexts, but the longest chunk of time was as a solo church pastor in a Presbyterian church here in Atlanta. I left that position six years ago with the hope of starting a new church, but what has happened is that I have journeyed into, like you said, this definition of vocation that stretches the imagination, where I am working in audio and video production, I am doing group facilitation in adaptive leadership, with a foot still very much firmly in the work of congregational ministry, though not doing so directly myself. Martha, I was fascinated by the conversation that we had earlier this month. It was after we recorded another podcast where we didn't get to hear your voice about it, just about your journey and what gave you the courage to take the leap. I know a lot of pastors right now are scared to death. They see a dead end in the ministries where they're serving. They're feeling trapped and stuck, but they don't know how to find a way forward. They're petrified by fear. They're petrified by worries about how they're going to support themselves or care for their families. What was it that gave you the courage to step out there and imagine a different way of doing things? Yeah, I have to go back a ways in that traditional call where I was actually part of one of the ministry collaborative's clergy cohorts at the time. And that work helped me to get a broader sense of this notion of call that prior to that, I thought of call as called to be a pastor of this particular congregation, the end. And what I discerned in the midst of that time together in that cohort was, no, actually, I'm called to be me. I'm called to be Marthame, and there are aspects to that, which includes being pastor of this church at this particular time. So that was the first step. And then recognizing that there was also a calling to be a spouse and a father and a citizen and an artist, that all of those things were part of that calling, and then they had to find some way to live together holistically. What also shifted for me was... And I recognize that I end up being a bit of a caricature for this, but I was taking improv comedy classes. <laughs> and the whole notion of the yes and, but really what it was, was this idea of saying yes to what God has put in front of me. And 
just trusting that gut instinct to know that this is of the spirit and I need to say yes to this. And there became this moment where it was saying yes to something that would require me to leave that call, that job in order to pursue this different kind of yes. And also realizing like part of what that improv is, is about bravery and stepping out, not knowing what you are stepping into. It's the figuring out how I'm going to land while I'm falling. And so being able to do that with this nudge of, I think I'm supposed to be working with artists at this intersection of faith and justice. I don't really know what that looks like, but I know that that's the thing that I say yes to. And I can't do that if I'm doing this. Now, I also got to be honest about this. Part of the ability to leave was the fact that my wife has full-time employment and has benefits. So there's a certain amount of privilege that comes with the ability to have that courageous step. Well, and and to me, that just says that for any of these decisions, there are a multitude of factors, practical, financial, emotional, spiritual. 100%. And one size doesn't fit all in this either, and you put it all in the blender and see where it comes out. (laughs) What God has put in front of me is what you said. Yeah. That, to me, is where the rubber hits the road for all of us. How do we know that? How do we know what God has put in front of us or just I'm having a bad day and want to get out of Dodge? Can I tag on to the end of that? You said something about I was called to be Marthame. I was called to be myself. Where do those two meet? What is that moment where the light bulb goes off where all of your passion and your purpose kind of collide and you're like, ah, this is where I'm supposed to be? What is that? Well, I think there's something about that notion of coming alive. Is that Thurman, this notion of what makes you come alive? That's a distinct part of it. And also this awareness that it's this dance, right? It's between this notion of grace and sin, this idea that being created in the image of God does not mean that I am perfect as I am, that I don't have work to do, right? To tease next month's conversation around formation, there's work to do. I've got work to do. Part of it is also learning to listen to the voices of those who are wiser than you are. And also recognizing that there are the voices of those who are not as wise as <laughs> that there are the people who are saying, great, why don't you sow those wild oats and then we'll get you back in the church where you belong, as opposed to, oh, this is something bigger and will be a gift to the church writ large with the capital C, and we're going to trust you to trust God. And that's a different ballgame. That's interesting, too. It makes me wonder, how has the way your life shifted prepared you for what we've encountered over the last several years with this pandemic. Yeah. In a very practical way, it was like, yo, you were getting ready before you had to be ready for how things changed, right? Right. I stepped out of that congregational role at a time when probably congregational ministry became the hardest it has been in my lifetime, at least. I mean, it was the ramp up to the 2016 election and the beginning of that much more divisive politics than I've seen in my lifetime, a time when theology, as I've heard Mark, you say many times, became clearly downstream of our politics. And to step away from that was in some ways a very easy thing to do, Mm -hmm. but also to step into this place that I didn't really know what I was going into. And what I ended up going into was something that was largely virtual. It was largely online and was steering very strongly into these cultural conversations and theological conversations around justice. And then in 2020, when both of those things came to the forefront, it was like, 
oh, yeah, I've been doing this for four years and didn't realize that that was what it was and found myself in this weird place of like suddenly being an expert to a lot of people who are trying to figure all of these things out at once. What do faith and justice have to do with each other? What do faith and justice have to do with a context in which we can't be together in person? And again, me not saying, well, what you need to do is X, Y, and Z, but here are the things that I have learned and here are the processes I have learned. And that's where I've loved being in the space of talking to groups and working in facilitating groups around adaptive leadership of saying like, it's not about saying you need to get this kind of microphone and you need to get this kind of camera and you need to get this kind of internet connection. It may be those things, but really it's about a change in mindset and Mm -hmm. a change in approach that says the rules that I learned don't really apply anymore. I've got to figure out a new way of being in this current climate. Say a specific word about your podcast, the AIJ podcast, because I know that you do many other things, but once or twice a week, you're producing some astonishing conversations. I appreciate that. Art, Inspiration, Justice, AIJ cast, those are the three nodes of the podcast. And it began again out of this idea that I was going to start a church. And what I realized is I was a failure at getting these folk in the same room to begin to create something that looked like church. But what I was really good at was drawing folk out and having these transformative experiences. I talk about going to a photography exhibit and realizing this is a deeply powerful spiritual moment, even if it's not quote unquote sacred art or going to a CD release party, same thing, this amazing thing that's happening in this community, in this room. And I knew enough about the technology, about recording equipment and about podcasting that I knew how to help these folks eavesdrop on each other and experience these things, even if they couldn't be in the same room. So that was where it started. And then what I realized very quickly was that this was a way also to establish, for lack of a better word, a brand. What are the things that I can become an expert about, but also like realize like, kind of like Dave Letterman, I'm the dumb white guy in the room on behalf of all the other dumb white guys in the world. And I can be learning from folk that are not like me, who are far more talented, who don't look like me, who don't embody the same kind of body that I have, whether that's race, gender, sexuality, et cetera. And then I can grow and learn and be transformed by that. And then provide this platform for folk to speak to a broader audience. And what that became is people recognizing, oh, these are things and connections that Marthame has. And then it leads to producing other people's podcasts, but also it leads to networking and people saying, oh, do you know any video people that can help us with this? Do you know any dancers? Do you know any playwrights that can help us? Well, before I took this job, I spent about 32, 33 years in parish ministry, deeply loved it, still deeply love it. I will never, ever talk badly about it. And it astonished me for every one of those 33 years how ministers think they're special. And somehow we're at the top of a hierarchy of vocation. I took a call in East Lansing, Michigan. A neighbor came over when we were moving in and you know, introduced herself and then said, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a Presbyterian minister. And she said, oh, it's so good to have a minister in the neighborhood. And I'm thinking, you know, I can see it's good to have a plumber in the neighborhood. It's good to have a veterinarian in the neighborhood, uh, maybe an electrician, but a minister. I mean, I'm probably not going to keep up my yard as nicely as some of those other folk either. Let's be honest. I think that's the first time I was aware of this fake hierarchy of yeah. specialness mm. that comes with ministry. One thing I'm hearing you say, Marthame, is you've discovered in lots of different places the activity of God, which you know, we talk constantly about how particularly the post-resurrection texts are, go find out where Jesus is active and join him there. Right. But it sounds like you kind of 
cast off from shore to mix the metaphor, but then found all these other places of activity and indeed ministry, though it wasn't anything that you probably were seeking specifically at the time. Yeah, it was also about, I think, in that sense of like trusting that God is already at work in me, which can sound really cocky, but that's also what we're already doing as ministers in traditional settings. And like you, Mark, I loved my time in congregational ministry. I adored that congregation. They were a lovely bunch of people. And among the things that they gave me, I told them this as I was leaving, was they gave my children an opportunity to experience a community that loved them and didn't put them through the ringer that a lot of PKs go through. They were never in the fishbowl. They were loved into a community. And that was a beautiful gift. And I also began to see the limitations of what that requirement was of an incredible amount of creative energy around one hour a week that had a very limited impact. I think ministry in the traditional setting is very hard. I do think it's very hard work. I don't think it's alone in that. That's interesting, Martha. It makes me think about, I've been serving a black Baptist church in Alabama for over 20 years. Mm. And the model for leadership in black Baptist churches have been traditionally clergy-centered, where there's kind of this baked-in deference to the pastor. It's very hub-and-spoke. All roads lead through that leadership. It's very personality-driven, although we would say it's not the case or whatever. And I've spent the better part of 20 years undoing that for a 100-year-old congregation. And it's been fraught with challenge, but what has helped is adversity. Mm. Six months into my call, this 100-year-old historic sanctuary burned. Wow. So in some ways, a lot of the burden and the weight of that history and tradition was set aside, and we had to learn how to be in a community in a very different way, which also reshaped my life. I thought I might serve a couple of years kind of bivocationally and then transition to full-time ministry in that place, but then because of debt incurred because of having to rebuild and all of that stuff, I had to rethink it. So for those 20 years, not only has adversity helped, but the, the necessity of me having to maintain another job while serving this congregation has forced me into the place of realizing that my work is not just in the pulpit or in the classroom, but if I don't actively practice God's presence, those eight, 12, sometimes 16 hour days that I'm working in a corporate environment or doing this, if I don't realize God in those places, I'm not going to have time to listen and hear and write and construct this sermon starting on Monday morning at 8 a.m. <laughs> and then revising it by Thursday and then perfecting <laughs> it. By, that just does not happen. So I had to really find a way of listening yeah. and realizing God in these places where we would traditionally define them as mundane, Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. not sacred or no, it's very different. The compartment is exploded. And then it pressed me personally to your earlier point. I had to be who I was. I cannot turn a switch on when I leave the office and go over the mountain. I can't. I can't. That's insanity. Mm -hmm. I had to find a way of being 
who I was, no matter where I was, and finding the work that my hands were given to, finding that as sacred work. And it has in some ways enlarged and increased the ability that I have to reach people who, although they would never come and sit in that sanctuary, people on the job are saying, you know what, I don't have a pastor, but you are it. Yeah. Absolutely. I, there was another key moment for me in my time in, in a ministry collaborative cohort as a clergy peer, where part of that expansiveness of call was also this understanding of you are not called to be pastor of this congregation. You are called to be pastor of this community. Right. And that, like you said, Adam, that allowed me to be the person who cares about what happens to people when I'm seeing them in the coffee shop or when I'm seeing them on the street beyond whether or not they actually ever sit in the pew. And that became a very expansive thing for me. And then the other thing that's just so key for me and how that has translated into what I'm doing now, this thing that you talk about, that fraudulent dividing line between sacred and secular, there's a quote that I will not be able to reference the source, but the idea that there is a secular molecule in the universe, if creator God is sacred, is a bit of a fraudulent notion. And I specifically have learned that from artists who, Mm -hmm. for so many of them, the urge to create does not change. It is still sacred, even if it's not going to necessarily create the next great hymn. Mm -hmm. It might create the most secular piece of music you can find, but it's still coming from those deeply, deeply holy wells. Before I took this job, I was serving in Austin. And one of the best things about Austin is something on the University of Texas campus called the Ransom Center. They have so much money. They buy up original manuscripts of all sorts of things. Everything from the Gutenberg Bible to uh, Jack Kerouac's scroll Mm. for On the Road. One time they had an exhibit on classic writers writing sports pieces like Oates on boxing and John Updike's iconic (laughs) piece on Ted Williams' last game and Hemingway on a bullfight. Interestingly, though, looking at it, you saw the edit and then the re-edit, then the re-edit, then the re-edit. That's sort of the metaphor that applies here. There is not one course for us to find ministry, and there is not an easy delineation between sacred and secular. There is a chance, though, to go in and look at our lives and relook it and relook it and then look at God's voice and rehear it and rehear it and through that craft a way through. I know there are people listening to us right now. We all know this. There are pastors listening to this right now who are hanging by a thread in both their current call and their vocation. Uh, The word I would say, but I'd also like you to offer a word, is don't see this as a binary, I'm in, I'm out, but see this as an ever-expanding and editable manuscript. What would you say to our colleagues who really need a wise word right now? Wow, Mark, I didn't know you were so poetic. (laughs) I'm an, I'm an onion. <laughs> You're like Shrek. There have been a million times in ministry that I have shifted vocational discernment and shifted call. I think about that time I served for 11 years as a solo pastor in the same congregation, and about seven years in realized I needed to be a very different kind of pastor in the very same job with the very same job description. That was a shift. And then there was a more dramatic shift into this kind of binary, right? Being out of it. And being out of that traditional context has not meant I have given up on the church, small c, big c. It means that I am part of it in a very different way, and that I feel my gifts being given to that in a very different way. And that's the challenge, is there's no easy answer, right? Yeah, it's interesting to me that there's an element of, again, fear and anxiety, but there's also the potential for this amazing freedom. Mm -hmm. that is determined by how we 
respond to the pressures of the present moment, right? Does fear win or do we see it in the words of Jennifer Watley Maxell as an opportunity to risk faithfully, right? Can we trust the God in us to sustain us as we are moving in and out of these different environments? Friends, this has been a rich conversation, and I hope helpful to all our colleagues who are wrestling with this in real time right now. Marthame, your gifts are multitudinous, and we appreciate getting you, as it were, on this side of the microphone. And Adam, it's always good to share the journey with you as well. Thanks to both yeah, of you. Thanks. thanks, guys. I am grateful for the many gifts that the Ministry Collaborative has continued to give me through ministry. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast a project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.